This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Nightlight has partnered with Fan Roll Dice by Metallic Dice Games to offer an exclusive discount on one of their gorgeous dice sets that we've fallen in love with because of their satisfying weight and, let's just be honest, sparklies not to mention their impeccably constructed dice accessories. In one word, velvet. Visit fanrolldice.com, that's F-A-N-R-O-L-L-D-I-C-E dot com, and use our discount code NIGHTLIGHT for 10% off any new additions to your dice hoard. A portion of your purchase will come back to us and help support our shows. So go to fanrolldice.com with the discount code NIGHTLIGHT to get 10% off of any additions to your dice hoard. Hi, I'm Tanya Ransom, creator and executive producer of Nightlight, a horror podcast featuring creepy tales written and performed by Black creatives from all over the world. We're back after a long hiatus just in time for Friday the 13th. Those of you who have followed me or this podcast for a while know that I love a good werewolf story. So this story featuring werewolves fighting demons was a no-brainer for our comeback episode. This story was originally published in Black Magic Women, Terrifying Tales by Scary Sisters. It's a great anthology and worthy of your time and money, so be sure to check it out. Longtime listeners will also notice that my name has changed. I'm no longer Tanya Thompson, but you'll be able to find me for a while under that name while I make the transition to Tanya Ransom. Before we get to the story, just a reminder that all episodes are brought to you by the Nightlight Legion. Special thanks to our newest patrons, Kat, Dave, Ruth, Hiku, and Alice. Thanks so much for joining us. You have our eternal gratitude. Again, Nightlight is 100% listener-supported, so we need your help to keep bringing you new episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash nightlightpod to join the Nightlight Legion and get a shout-out on the podcast. Now sit back, turn out the lights, and enjoy The Lost Ones by Valjean Jeffers, narrated by me, Tanya Ransom. Namia loped through the forest on the outskirts of Quincy, easily dodging the trees. Running with the pack, there's nothing like it, smelling the wildness, the scent of future prey. But the werewolves were not hunting. They were running for the pure ecstasy of it. Their streamlined bodies a synergy of human and wolf flesh. Miles, his name sent desire coursing beneath her rich brown fur. But she hadn't seen him in weeks. He'll be back. We are bound by love. He cannot escape this, and neither can I. It's getting late, and I have to work tomorrow. I'm heading back. Me too, a slender werewolf transmitted telepathically behind her. These thoughts were sent to the rest of the pack. The werewolves turned as one and headed back to town. It was only 11 a.m., but Quincy was already hot and muggy. Namia Johns, a mahogany-colored woman with golden-brown eyes, dressed in a short-sleeved blouse, bustier, and knickers, descended the stairs to her shop entitled simply, The Spellcaster. It was 1970, 
Anamia ran a flourishing business selling charms, powders, and reading her clients. Sorcery was completely legal in North America, unlike in true America. No wonder they're always trying to sneak across the border. They can't do anything over there. In 1955, after a siege of bloody civil wars and the upsurge of the red, brown, and black power movements, the United States was divided into true America and North America. In what became known as the Grand Experiment, politicians decided that the domestic wars were economically untenable. Conservative states, newly joined and named True America, were allowed to secede from North America, keep their draconian racial and gender laws, and trouble the progressive states no more. Segregation went on in True America, with citizens living in racially divided communities and working at jobs designated by their race and sex. Meanwhile, with sweeping radical legislation termed restructuring, North America outlawed all racial discrimination. Quincy City, where Namia lived, like most cities in North America, was a cornucopia of Native American, Black, White, Asian, and Latino mixed race boroughs. Namia walked to the back of her shop, lit her gas stove, and brewed a pot of cocoa. She walked back to the front and sat down at the round wooden table that centered the shop. She sipped the hot brew. Her first client would be here any minute. A young woman dressed in a corseted blouse and skirt with petticoats opened the door, jingling the bells hanging on the frame. She had coconut-colored skin, and her wavy black hair brushed her shoulders. Hello, Lydia. Namia greeted her. I've been expecting you. Lydia's green eyes widened. For a moment, she looked like she would turn and run back out the door. You, you know my name? And why you've come. Can I offer you some cocoa? No, thank you. Lydia sat down at the table. You've come for a love spell, Namia said matter-of-factly. Lydia chewed her bottom lip. Yes. Can you make my man love me? Treat me right? Here we go. I can, Namia said, but only for a while. I want Jim to love me forever. A tear slid down her cheek, and she angrily wiped it away. They said you were the best. I can't make him love you for an eternity, Namia replied. No sorceress can. A heart cannot be compelled against its will, and Jim's heart is faithless and cold. Lydia rummaged through her handbag. I have currency. Lots of it. I can pay. I'll pay you whatever you ask. Namia reached across the table and touched Lydia's hand, her face sympathetic. Lydia, this man only cares for himself. When the spell wears off, his love will fade, and he will return to pursuing other women. She won't listen. They never listen. How long? Lydia whispered. How long will it last? Namia sighed with resignation. Six months. After that, you can sell me more. Namia shook her head. I cannot. It would be dangerous. There was a long-weighted silence. All right, Lydia said. I'll take it. Namia rose from the table and walked to the shelf on her right. She pulled a stopped jar of blue powder off the shelf. Namia sat the jar down in front of Lydia and closed her eyes, whispering words Lydia could not understand. She passed the jar to Lydia, and Lydia clasped it with a faraway look in her eyes, imagining, no doubt, the affection Jim would shower her with, once ensorcelled. Put a teaspoon of this in his food tonight. Be sure to make love to him afterwards. Give him only one teaspoon a week. 
unless you want to drive him insane. Namia twisted her hands. She had to try again. Dear one, this path leads to self-destruction. Leave this man. Find one who will truly love you. Lydia's full lips tightened into a stubborn line. How much do I owe you? They never listen. Two hundred even. Lydia reached into her bag and pulled out a bag of coins. She counted the coins out and put the jar in her purse. Thank you. Namia watched her leave, and in six months, she'll be back, begging me for another charm. Moments later, the door of her shop was flung open, and a hefty dark man strode inside. He had a wide face, bulging reddish eyes, and he smelled like a brewery. He stood in the doorway, gazing at her with incoherent rage. You sold my brother's wife poison, he rumbled. Namia returned his gaze calmly. She'd been expecting him. Harry, I don't sell poisons, only harmless spells. At the sound of his name, Harry pulled up short. Emboldened by drink, he took another step toward her. Lying witch! Sally poisoned your brother with arsenic, which she didn't get from me. Now please, leave my shop. In two long strides, he was standing over her. He glared down at her. Namia grabbed the man by the neck and lifted him from the floor, growling low in her throat. Listen to me, fool. Your sister-in-law is lying. Threaten me again, and I'll rip your throat out. Understand? He managed a nod. Namia let him down. Get out! She snarled. He turned and ran from the shop. If he tries to repeat his lies, his voice will sound like a pig's oink. Chuckling to herself, Namia walked to the back of her shop to freshen up her cocoa. Another client was on the way. Quincy City was hot tonight, and Miles' office was sweltering. He'd raised both windows behind him, but hadn't felt a breeze all evening. The bluish tint of the sky threatened rain. So far, it hadn't fulfilled its promise. Detective Miles Blakely, a big mahogany-colored man with a close-shaved haircut, beard, and mustache, and five unwanted pounds that he'd been trying for months to get rid of, sat at his desk sweating with his sleeves rolled up and his suspenders pushed down. The tie that he wore to look professional was folded on his desk. To hell with this, he muttered, and stubbed his cigar out in the ashtray. He stood and shoved his tie in his pocket. At that moment, his glass-plated door swung open and a young man stepped inside. He had a twenty-ish baby face, smooth brown sugar skin, and a close wavy haircut. Can I help you? Miles said in his baritone voice. You the detective? The young man asked. His voice was tinged with the Spanish accent. Miles smiled thinly. That's what the sign says. Detective Miles Blakely here. What can I do for you? I'm Constable Juan Rodriguez. I, uh, I need to file a missing persons report. You a constable? The young man nodded. Then what you coming to me for? File a report with your department. The young man's eyes shifted away from Miles, his face twitching nervously. I can't, because the man who's missing, he was taken. Miles furrowed his brow in confusion. Taken? You mean kidnapped? Juan shook his head. Nah, he, he disappeared right in front of me. And there was... Vete a la mierda. He turned to go. Sit down. Miles' voice was an inhuman, thunderous command. The young man whirled about, his eyes wide. 
He hurried over to the wooden chair facing the desk and sat down, his eyes still on the detective's face. Juan sat back down. Now tell me what happened. For a long moment, Juan continued to gawk at him. It's true, he said finally. You ain't human. Miles struck a match on his desk and lit his cigar. I'm waiting. Last night, I was chasing this burglar on the west side. We both ran past this building, a deserted warehouse, him running and me running behind him. We got to these cobblestones, and he stops. I figured he was getting ready to surrender, you know? And then I heard this music, and he disappeared. Nah, that ain't right. He dissolved. His body just melted. Right in front of me. Juan shuddered with the memory. Fue horrible. I would have thought I was going crazy. But it's happened before in the same spot. People going missing. Some of them children. The detective puffed his cigar. It's some kind of demon, and a powerful one at that. Out loud, he said. And you want me to find out what's doing this and stop it, right? See, si. My department has authorized me to hire you. Tonight. It's $250, right? Miles smiled humorlessly. My fee is $500. That is, if I don't have to travel. I'll take $250 now and the rest when I solve the case. Juan reached in his vest and pulled out a cloth satchel. He counted out hand-printed notes and placed them on the desk. Miles rifled briefly through the notes and then pushed them into his breast pocket. He got to his feet. Well, let's go take a look. Constable Juan Rodriguez left his steam auto parked beside the tall wooden building. They took Miles' auto to the west side. They parked alongside the warehouse, a yard away from the spot. Miles got out first. He couldn't help but notice that the warehouse's broken windows looked like jagged teeth. Stay behind me, he said over his shoulder. Yeah, sure, Juan said, only too happy to oblige. Just ahead, there was an innocent-looking patch of cobblestones under a street light. Yet the stones looked unused, as if no one had ever walked over them. Then Miles heard it. A woman singing, a wordless melody, sensuous and lilting. He took another step. Then another. One more, and he would be standing right beneath the street lamp, right on top of the stones. Juan grabbed his arm. What you doing, man? the melody abruptly ended. Miles whirled about, mad now, mad enough to slug the young man in the jaw. Juan drew back from the fury in his eyes. Hey! In that instant, his rage vanished. Miles shook his head to clear it. Sorry. Cautiously, he stretched out his hand under the light, just above the cobblestones, and snatched it back, holding it in front of his face. His hand was tingling, the hairs on it standing on end. Behind him, Juan asked. What is it? Miles turned to go. He'd seen enough. I'm not sure. I gotta do some digging. But cordon this area off. Do whatever you have to, to keep people away, or more folks will come up missing. He hunkered down and turned the crank on his steam auto. The motor sputtered to life. They got in, and Miles drove the young constable back to his car. I'll be in touch by the end of the week, Miles said. Juan got out and walked around to the driver's side of the auto. I'm the lead detective on this case, with my unit, that is. He reached into his vest pocket, pulled out a hand-cut card, and handed it to Miles. All my information is on there, if you need to send me a post. You, uh, 
You think any of them folks are still alive? Miles held his gaze. Hard to say. I wouldn't want to speculate on it. But if they are, I'll get them back. Miles unlocked the door to his little one-story cottage. The mortgage was pricey, but he still managed to scrape it together every month. He couldn't stand apartment buildings. He couldn't stand the feeling of being cramped and boxed in. It was the wolf in him. He liked the trees that lined his cobblestone streets, liked having a front and a backyard. Most of all, he liked not being able to hear his neighbors coughing or farting or flushing their toilet or making love. Making love. His thoughts turned to Namia. He couldn't dwell on them, or he'd go running off to see her. Even now, the memory of her lips, wet, wanting, seeking. Her hands, her golden-brown eyes, her lithe body, made it hard to focus. He pushed these thoughts away by sheer force of will, and made his way through the living room and down the hall to his den. It was dark in the house, but he could see in the darkness as well as any nocturnal beast. Inside, there was a wooden desk with a quill, writing pad, and oil lamp, a high-backed chair, and two armchairs. Books lined the shelves against the wall. He took a match from the desk drawer, struck it on the wood, and lit the oil lamp. Holding the lamp, he walked past the desk and pushed the shelf facing him to the right, revealing his laboratory. A wooden table with candles and painted symbols atop it centered the dim room. The walls were lined with shelves stacked with powders, unguents, and more books with well-worn pages. Volumes that he'd rather not expose to polite company. Or to an enemy. Miles chose a jar of red powder from the shelf on his left. He walked back to the table, set the oil lamp down, and sprinkled the powder on the exposed hand. He lit a candle and held the flame over his hand for a moment. Miles studied his hand closely. His brown skin was glowing with fluorescent light. I've been marked and whoever, whatever, had marked him, was coming for him. Miles turned back to the shelves and thumbed through the books. Long after midnight, sleep finally claimed him. He awoke to her voice, calling to him, her song ethereal, seductive. Miles rose from his bed. Wearing only pajama bottoms, he left his bedroom and strode down the hallway, through his living area and out the front door, into the warm summer night. He stood on the cobblestones fronting his house. Miles, son of sorcerer and wolf. Her voice was a sensuous zephyr. Let me free you from your sorrow. Come, and I will take you. Miles transformed into werewolf, hair growing rapidly over his body, his face lengthening, becoming lupine. Creatures appeared in the darkness. They skulked past him. Some with three bodies joined together, others without faces, and those with stooped backs, fangs, and claws hissing and glaring at him with glistening eyes. Creatures that humans could not see, that he could not see, until he became wolf. Not of this world, nor the other. Poor lost child. Miles was inundated with sudden emotions. Yearning, longing, the loneliness of being forever an outsider. Alone, always alone, Miles turned left and strode down the cobblestones, following the sound of her voice. Diaphanous spirits trailed him, flying through his chest and stomach. He roared, whirling about with fangs drawn to swipe glancing blows at them. A woman appeared before him, and the wraiths fled. A female werewolf with golden brown eyes. Namia. 
except it wasn't her. She sauntered toward him. Let go, her voice echoed along the street. Let go and be mine. Miles didn't resist as she pushed her body against his and threw an arm about his neck, pressing her warm lips to his lupine mouth. His member stiffened. Breathing hard, he wrapped his hairy arms about her, pulling her even tighter against him. She flew them both upward, myriad lights swirling around them in the night sky, framing the moon. I'm losing myself. With an effort that was almost painful, he pushed her away. You're not her, he thundered. You're not Namia. Miles fell to the cobblestones with a thud and lay on his back shivering and bleeding. He healed quickly, the gift of his wolf blood, turned over on all fours, and loped with preternatural speed toward home. Her song followed him. When he reached his house, Miles stood and became human again. Inside, the epiphany he had sought all night blossomed in his mind like a black rose. They're being taken, but they're being coaxed too. They went willingly, for whatever she promised them, and their souls are being devoured. He rushed through the house, not even bothering to light a candle until he entered his lab. He held the flame against his body, examining his hands, chest, and arms. Come on, he whispered fiercely. She, it, had been careful, but he finally found what he sought on his right shoulder, a fluorescent ectoplasm clinging to his skin. Miles set the candle down and grabbed a pair of tweezers from his work table. He snared the squirming bit of ooze, ran to his shelf, and picked up a glass jar. He went back to the table and managed to work the stopper off with one hand. He thrust the ectoplasm inside the jar and quickly closed it. It glowed inside the glass. But there was still much to be done. On the east side, he climbed the steps of the apartments over Namia's shop. Miles reached the second story and stood before the door of her flat. He knocked and whispered, I am a stranger in a strange land. Will you welcome me? His face shifted under the light, for a moment revealing the beast beneath his human shape. The door swung open and he stepped inside. Beyond the doorway were spacious and opulently decorated rooms. Werewolves, vampires, and hybrid metahumans lounged about on chairs and couches. Namia, Curvaceous and dark, with golden-brown eyes, dressed in a corset and clinging pants, spotted him. His body warmed, as it always did, at the sight of her. She rose gracefully like a dancer, stepped over him, and wound an arm around his neck. Namia kissed him fleshily and lifted her mouth. Where have you been, lover? I missed you. Her voice was a husky contralto, a synergy of sandpaper and honey. I missed you, too. Miles said. Oh, how he missed her. So why'd you stay away so long? It's only been two weeks, he stammered. I can't think around you. My brain turns to mush. Unlike Miles, Namia was a full-blooded werewolf and seer. She spoke to his lupine spirit, and it answered to her scent, her taste, her touch. When he was with her, he forgot to be man and longed to spend his days and nights running through the streets and forests taking whatever he wanted, taking her. I need your help. I'm listening, she said. Miles told her about the ensorcelled cobblestones and the disappearances. Then he told her about what happened to him last night. 
When he'd finished, Namia asked, Do you still have the ectoplasm? Miles nodded. Yeah. We're going to need it. They descended the steps together. What you're up against is a kind of succubi, Namia said. One that feeds on emotions, fear, pain, desire, anger. It is what keeps the demon strong, keeps her immortal. These things almost never cross over into our dimension, but when they do, they're looking for victims. She pushed the door open and they stepped outside into the warm night. Namia smiled up at him. Run with me, Miles. Looking down at her into those golden brown eyes, Miles found it suddenly hard to breathe. I, I brought my steam auto. Namia lifted her hand and ran one finger down his cheek. You overthink things. You always have. Run with me now, for the sheer joy of it. She took off and he raced behind her. In human or wolf form, both were preternaturally fast and strong. The metahumans blurred through the streets, reaching his house in a matter of minutes. Inside, she followed him to his lab. Miles set the stoppered bottle of ectoplasm on the table. Miles placed his hands over the symbols on the table and spoke a mantra. Protect me as I seek the lost ones. The symbols drew together to form a circle. He unstopped the jar and, with tweezers, placed the ectoplasm inside the circle. Namia cast the second spell. Miles parked his steam auto on the curb, opened the door, and got out. He walked to the cobblestones. Juan had been true to his word. Wooden slats had been placed around the stones, and a painted sign that said, Danger, keep away by order of the constabulary, was affixed to the warehouse's wall fronting the stones. His heart was beating fast, and he'd begun to sweat. Miles pushed the slats aside and stepped on top of the cobblestones. For a long moment, he stood there under the street lamp. Nothing happened. Suddenly, he was swallowed in darkness. His faux lover appeared before him, dressed in clinging sheer garments. Miles knew it wasn't Namia. Nevertheless, his body welcomed the sight of her. I knew you would come, she said. Her silken voice echoed in the darkness. She moved close to him, placing her hands on his chest. All at once she frowned and pulled back. You think to vanquish me? Foolish, foolish human, I will take everything that you are. The demon threw back her head and shrieked in a banshee wail. They appeared, spirit upon spirit, shapeless but deadly, and sprang upon him. Miles felt them gnawing at his flesh, biting off chunks of him. He became werewolf, throwing them off two at a time. And still, they came. The spell could not destroy so many demons, only keep him alive, and not indefinitely. An entity sprang at him and sank razor-sharp fangs into his chest. Blood gushed from the wound. Weakened, Miles threw the monster off. Another instantly took its place. He felt himself going under. Miles sank to his knees. The demoness stood over him. Now I will take what's mine. Suddenly, Naomi and her pack were there, glowing with the same blue-green luminescence that protected Miles, driving the spirits back, circling him and the demon. Miles stood and grabbed the demoness by the throat. Namia spoke the mantra that only she, as black woman, could speak. The demon howled in a long, drawn-out cry, a sound bereft of any humanity. Miles watched as her human body melted away until there was nothing left but a shapeless form with blazing eyes. 
Repulsed, he let go and watched the thing dissolve at his feet. The darkness vanished. He was once more standing beneath the street lamp, this time surrounded by Namia's pack, his body already beginning to heal. The perks of being metahuman. Thank you, Miles said. The shapeshifters nodded and hurriedly took their leave, impatient to find their next adventure. Namia lingered. I almost bit it back there. I thought you weren't coming, Miles said. It took me a while to round everybody up. She stroked his cheek with the back of her hand. You owe me now. Meet me in an hour, and we'll discuss your... payment. Miles nodded. He didn't have to ask where. Namia kissed him and walked away. He watched her until she vanished in the night. Minutes later, just as Miles had suspected, they began to return. Men, women, and three children, two boys and a girl. All wore the dazed look to folks awakening from a long nightmare. He suspected, too, that this wasn't everyone who'd vanished, only those who'd managed to survive. He ignored the adults. They could find their own way home. Miles wondered what the demon had offered the children to entice them to follow her. Whatever's going on at home, I hope their parents fix it. I may not be around next time. Hey, Miles said to a small brown girl. You lost? She chewed her lips, her wide, scared eyes searching his face. She ran them over his bruises. In a few hours, they'd be healed. But of course, she didn't know that. He'd fought the creatures. That's all she could see. Deciding to trust him, she nodded. Uh-huh. I'll take you to the constabulary. They'll find your folks. Miles turned his eyes to the boys. You too. The children followed him back to his steam auto. And while I'm there, I'll collect my fee. A man can't live on good deeds alone. The werewolf raced to the woods, searching for his mate, her scent in his nostrils. Suddenly she was there, loping alongside him. Namia and Miles ran to the edge of the dark waters and transformed into man and woman. Naked and as one, they rose, her arms wrapped around his neck, as he lifted her from the soil by her buttocks, her hot mouth on his. Bound by love, we are bound for an eternity. Thanks again to our patrons for supporting this podcast. Because of your support, listeners around the world get creepy tales in their ears every other week. If you want new episodes every week, the only way for that to happen is to join the Nightlight Legion by going to patreon.com slash nightlightpod and support this podcast. You can also make a donation via PayPal at paypal.me slash nightlightpodcast. If you're unable to support us financially, word of mouth is the next best way to help. Give us a shout out online on Twitter or Instagram at NightlightPod, or like us on Facebook at NightlightPod. Reviews are also a huge help, so be sure to leave a few kind words on your podcast platform of choice. Audio production for this episode by me, Tanya Ransom. You can find me online at MissDefying. Valjean Jeffers is a speculative fiction writer, a graduate of Spelman College, and the author of nine books, including her Immortal series and her Mona Livelong Paranormal Detective series. Her short stories can be found in Sycorax's Daughters, The Ringing Ear, and numerous other publications. And to thank you for listening until the very end, we have a creepy fact for you. During the Civil War, some wounded soldiers had wounds that glowed in the dark. While the thought of a glowing gash might sound terrifying, it was actually called Angel's Glow, because soldiers that had it seemed to recover much faster than those who didn't.
In 2001, 17-year-old Bill Martin decided to embark on an experiment to explain this curious phenomenon. He discovered that a bacteria that lives inside nematodes, which are a type of parasitic worm, were responsible for the glow. The worms throw up the bacteria, which glow in eerie blue, and in turn, the bacteria produce chemicals that kill insects and other microorganisms, which help the nematodes survive. Nematodes and this bioluminescent bacteria colonized the soldiers' wounds, destroying harmful pathogens, which led to faster healing and reduced rates of infection. So, if you happen to have a wound that starts to glow blue, don't fret. It's just your friendly neighborhood bacteria cleaning things out for you. Or not. You should probably see a doctor, just in case. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.